we're constantly taught to just not like ourselves. We're constantly taught to change. But if you just kind of sit with yourself for once and ignore that and own who you are and own your process, you mastered life. Welcome to the Reach New Heights podcast, where we dive deep into all things self-healing, transformation, and building dreams. I'm Julie Householder, and it is my passion to share powerful tools to empower you to transform your life and reach new heights. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Reach New Heights podcast. I am thrilled to introduce our honored guest this week, inclusive activist, disabled content creator, model, and speaker, Paula Caroso has cultivated and created a space to redefine disability. At the age of five, Paula was diagnosed with cerebral palsy after an anoxic episode from a surgery. On her journey with a cane, Paula shares her story on what it's like to live with a disability by amplifying the voices of her community to share their laughs, struggles, and adventures from living with a disability. Paula is recognized as a spokesperson for adaptive fashion, lifestyle with a disability, wellness, accessibility, and inclusive rights. What a beautiful bio. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, Julie. Thank you. No, I just wanted to jump in of how excited I am. Um, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about my work and expand the message, you know, through every platform that we're able to talk and keep expanding the message. I'm grateful for that. Absolutely. And just to start off our podcast today, can you just share with our listeners a little bit more about you and about your journey? Yes. So at the age of five, I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, which is a condition that affects a person's ability to move, maintain balance, posture and body alignment due to the brain damage. Um, that they had at some point in their life. In my case, I was a compl- I was a kid without a disability before, and then I went into a tonsillectomy, very simple surgery. And in that surgery, there appeared to be brain damage, which could have resulted in a stroke or brain damage from the anesthesia or the oxygen that I was given that day which caused brain damage in the motor cortex region of my brain, which later on um, obviously had its consequences and effects on my legs. I'd really love to break down a little bit about some of the definitions and building block information with our listeners who maybe haven't had exposure to your work, maybe haven't had exposure to anyone from the disability community. So what does disabled mean to you? And what are some uh, some of these societal ideas around disability that really aren't serving our highest good as a society? Disability by the book is defined as a condition that affects a person's ability to interact in a social sphere due to an accident, due to disability by birth. You already have a condition that limits your ability to, to play a role in society. But what we forget a lot of the times is that we have given the medical diagnosis much more emphasis than the societal barriers that we face because society is still trying to keep up with how we live our lives. And there are a lot of barriers out there that haven't really allowed us to fully interact 
in society, but it's always blamed back into the medical diagnosis, right? So for example, like if you show up somewhere and you have a disability and you can't use the stairs because you're in a wheelchair, the elevators are broken, you know, most of the time it's going to be blamed on the fact that you have a certain disability, but it's usually never blamed on the fact that the building is not equipped with ADA. You know, there, there's probably um, something going on with maintenance. So there's always a huge societal factor to why a lot of us still can't interact in society fully. Right. And not really taking the responsibility for that and being accountable for those actions. Many organizations or even anything is to deflect the responsibility, right? Because it's easier. Um, It's not as challenging. I think in a lot of this is for us to really recognize this and for anyone who isn't disabled that can easily access everywhere. It might not even be, you know, on your mind if you've never come in contact with someone or you don't have this education, what's not taught in our school yeah. system, you know, this is a great opportunity to really expand that mindset. We're seeing a lot of social movements around language, around word choice. So there's a big conversation within the disability community that extends to just anybody, whether we can be called people with disabilities or disabled people or a disabled person. I think that tones down to a very personal choice of the person with a disability. Because, for instance, in my case, I don't really care if you called me dis- if you call me a disabled person or if you called me a person with a disability. I think it's the connotation and the intention behind the phrase, right? Because you can say that stupid disabled person. And it's not going to sound any different if you say that stupid person with a disability. You know, the, <laughs> the intent is the same. And there's, you know, there's a conversation within the community where, you know, a lot of us say, I'm a person first and my disability comes second because we do come from, you know, a human rights history where, we were seen first as somebody with a disability and we were not allowed to go out. We were not allowed to get jobs because we, there was a huge ableistic mentality behind it. Ableism is when people immediately neglect that you even have capacity or value because of your disability. And then there's the other set of in the community that claims that they're not their disability is part of them. They don't like to be distinguished as a person first and their disability second. So I think it's a very personal thing where as somebody coming in, not really knowing how to maneuver around this situation, you can simply just come in and say, hey, I'm aware about this discussion in the community. How do you like to be called? Because for me, you you know um, I have people that say she's disabled I have people say she's a woman with a disability at the end of the day there's still a disability in there and my gender and my you know my human form of a person is obviously gonna get into it but it's not like it really bothers me 
as to what I'm called. From navigating that, talking about the intent behind the communication, what are some communication do's and don'ts? How can we enhance our communication skills as a society? Well, like I said, a lot of it is on a person level. I've had friends who till this day don't even know that I what kind of disability I have. And it's just because my being kind of jumped over that. You know, they didn't feel that they needed to know what happened to me, no matter how curious they are. I had a boyfriend that we didn't even talk about my disability until like a year and a half after dating. Because I simply, you know, as somebody with a disability, I forget that I have a disability. I have a mobility device that I don't use all the time. And it's become such a part of me. It's become such a part of my life. But it's not, it hasn't been something that has been triggered so much in my head. You're disabled, you're disabled, you're disabled to the point where I carry it around in my, on my forehead. So I think a lot of it is on a personal note. You know, how well do you know the person? You know, I've had people ask strangers in the street, what happened to you? What happened to your leg? Why do you walk the way you walk? And it's like, who are you to be asking me that? What benefit are you going to gain from the fact that I don't even know you and I'm about to tell you a whole story about my life that I have cerebral palsy? (laughs) You know? So I think a lot of it is don't necessarily tiptoe around the conversation in a way that you're fearful to ask. But do come from a ground of respect and really just treat people and ask people the same things that you would want to be asked if you were in a situation or if you know somebody similar. And and it goes back to like just kind of basics where we're not going up to people and we're like, tell me your medical history, like tell me all your personal information Um, and having having that respect for the person and seeing them as a human being like we all have thoughts, we all have feelings and really coming from that place. I agree. I agree. And I think it's something I I have noticed that it's something that has toned down. Back in the day when I was a teenager, everybody was asking me why I walked the way I walked. Strangers in the street, people in the supermarket, people in malls, and it has toned down. And I do think a lot of it is because we have been exposed to this new area, to this new era of education on these platforms. Things that schools never wanted to teach us and a sort of etiquette that if it wasn't brought out from home, it's very difficult to try to achieve that in the street. And a lot of that goes into representation. Can you talk a little bit about your process as being a model, being in fashion, and why this representation in media is so important and kind of your mission with your platform around this? Well, growing up, you know, I never saw a model with a disability. I never saw an amputee or a bionic model. I never saw anybody um, with a disability, period. And if I did, they were portrayed as very poor individuals and not poor monetary, just very poor souls in movies in magazines we also had this perspective of seeing disability people with disabilities as people who are heroic because in movies and in films and in books 
We were always taught to tell the stories as a defeat. We were trying to overcome our disabilities. We were trying to be cured. We were trying to go back to being normal. And then, of course, I grew up seeing that you adapt, you adopt to that mentality, even if you know you're not supposed to, because it's the only thing you're taught. And then, you know, I went to college, I graduated in marketing and PR, I started working in a whole bunch of lifestyle and fashion firms in Miami. I always loved fashion. I love lifestyle. I loved being in the scene and growing up in such a lifestyle scene city, you you're either in or you're out. Like there's no, you know, there's no in between. So I started working in these big lifestyle PR firms, big fashion firms. I worked with some of the biggest labels in this planet. And I realized, you know, I'm like, you know, these, these brands are wealthy. These brands have accumulated a lot of wealth throughout history but their representation is very basic. It's the same girl. It's the same story. It's the same thing over and over again. And a part of me felt that it, it just, it, it got to the point where it was too superficial for me. It was just too superficial, like the whole time and just the job itself, showing up, pitching clients, doing the same thing all over again. Every day I was like, this is not for me. It's not and, you know, that's fine. Um, so, you know, I started thinking, I was like, what can I do? What can I build? What can I, I always came from entrepreneurial roots. I, I came from a family business, but I had no interest in going to what they dealt with. I was always more into creative pursuits. I was always into writing and art and, you know, having fun with my craft. And I was like, okay, so you like photography. I always like the blogging scene, but I'm like, I'm not going to blog about my purse or my hair or my like, no, like it's just, it's not my scene. I respect everybody that does that, but it's not for me. And then I thought, I'm like, what if I blog about what it's like to live with a disability? Like at first I was like, okay, this idea is dumb. Like nobody's going to listen to me. Like who the hell cares about what a girl goes through in a day with a disability? And then I kind of looked to a corner in my room and I had three canes because I, I had already started using canes and I had three of them. And I looked over to my closet and I'm like, what if I pair these canes with some like outfits and then like do a little photo shoot, do this, do that. And then I called up one of my friends who is a photographer and I'm like, hey, I kind of have this idea. I don't have it fully built out yet, but I think I'm onto something and I kind of want to try it out. Do you mind shooting me? couple shoots I have three canes that I want to shoot with an outfit each she was like okay yeah let's go within that weekend we did a little photo shoot and then I came back and as I was editing the pictures and doing all of that writing the captions I was like okay I'm gonna you know I'm gonna put this picture up first mind you I kind of already had a bit of experience from all of my marketing and PR career so I was like let me just get into this game and see how it works out and then I started posting pictures with my canes. People thought my canes were props. People weren't understanding that I had a disability. And I was like, great, this is, this is great. So let me just see how I can tell this story better. And then the reels came out. And I was like, okay, this is my chance to kind of show video content of myself walking, something I never wanted to do because I used to hate seeing myself walk. I was like, I'm never going to do this. 
And then I posted the first reel. I posted a second one and the people were like, wait, so you really are disabled. You have a disability. You know, you have a condition. I'm like, yes, I've been saying this all along. You know, so I think it started as a very small idea that has really evolutionized to new projects, new new business ventures, so many things that I didn't really expect. Like I always knew it was gonna build onto something, but never to, not saying I'm huge, but I'm saying there's definitely momentum. Of course, I'm grateful for that. And I think a lot of it, a lot of my job now went from shooting content every day all the time. And now it's more like experiential. Now it's like advocacy work, business work. And I just hope to continue just spreading the awareness and the advocacy. What are you currently working on projects that you have going on in advocacy? I always say that I have many advocacy projects on the road. Um, one of them being the, the extended time of pedestrian crosswalks. I currently live in Miami, so I'm working to extend certain sections, certain traffic lights that are extremely busy, that don't have enough time for even people without disabilities to cross the street. I'm working to kind of extend the time on that. Several streets, the thing is, it's taken forever because it's like knocking doors on the government. So, you know, at times that's a very like tedious job itself. And then of course, I constantly portray the message of disability diversity with brands, um, you know, that hire me as an influencer for a post or a reel or content creation. But as of right now, I am, you know, trying to knock on new adventures, trying to like see myself extend from just like an Instagram page. How can we support these projects for people who want to get involved, really embodying what it means to be an ally? I think a big part of it is educating yourself. You know, whether that's following me on TikTok or Instagram and following anybody else who's in this space. I think we've been so taught for so long to go to school, to get the good grades, to get the job. But I feel that a big part of that was just kind of, you know, teaching us to meet the bare minimum and to kind of just meet what is considered enough in society. But if you do care about your ethics, your morals, and if these are areas, you know, minority groups are areas that you do want to involve yourself in and help, I think education is the first way. And our, our education system has obviously failed at that because if not, I feel that many of us wouldn't have to come out and advocate for our own rights. I'm not saying that the education system has to do it all, but there's a very big gap into why we walk out into the world and we don't have financial literacy. There's a very big gap into why we walk out into the world and we're just taught to function as machines, go to high school, go to college, get yourself into debt, get a job, pay it off. You know, it's just like, it's very routinary. There's just a gap there that we are trying to come in and like fill back in with our interests. So I think that's one big thing. Just educate yourself. And of course, I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm always launching ideas. I'm always launching projects. If anybody's ever interested, just email me or email me with an idea that you have for the community. And I'll be make sure to get the ball rolling. Really, we have we have this false sense of separation a lot, I think, between people reducing the separation where we're living from a heart-based, compassion-based 
way of really connecting with others and caring about others and caring about our community. Because mm-hmm. ultimately that's what it comes down to is that love is that connection so we can build a healthier world. I agree. I agree. And I think it's very important to connect with people. I think a lot of us, and I mean, this is a lot on the millennial side, we kind of forgot what it is to connect with people and to meet with people in person. And COVID swiped a lot of that from us. But I think COVID also taught us that like, even if you're the biggest introvert in the world, and you live in the digital space, you also missed like feeling somebody touching somebody hugging somebody. So I feel that you know, moving forward as well, a lot of people are going to lose interest in the fashion blogger or the entertainment blogger because they're going to start lacking a sense of relationship and a sense of like that they are relatable to that person. In my mind, it just popped up. I remember one of the first videos I saw of you, you were talking about how at any point, at any time, someone can become disabled. Yeah. Definitely. And I do think, you know, many of us don't don't realize now. And it's also the stereotype and the mentality scene for the disability. You know, you immediately see somebody that's disabled and you're like, oh, my God, like I have to run. What is this? Like, I don't even know how to deal with this person. But, you know, I'm not saying that everybody's going to end up with a disability, but we're all going to end up old. You know, at some yeah. point, we're going to end up with arthritis. Your back is going to start hurting. Your body's not going to function as it did when you were 25 you know and then you might need that handicap spot later on because you aged or because you had a car accident and you somehow you know thankfully you're not fully limited but now you are considered to have a disability I don't want us to care then I want us to care now so that we can resolve things for when we get there Absolutely. And even for like me, for anyone that's been following me, like I had a traumatic brain injury and just like that in moments, like Mm -hmm. my life has been changed. Everything can change in a second. You talk about mindset, you talk about well-being, especially about the mind, body, and spirit. Like you have a very like well-rounded holistic approach to what mindset is and, and sharing that aspect of your journey on Instagram. What are some ways that you have cultivated this mindset and how you approach challenges and hardship I think, you know, a lot of it was started when I was 13, when I started doing yoga. I wasn't able to be a cheerleader. I wasn't able to do sports, no matter how much I was always into physical activity. I just, I wasn't able to do certain things, but I was able to do yoga. And I, you know, I grasped from a very young age that our bodies are just seen and thought of as a physical presence. But our bodies internally and spiritually are kind of in a way what kind of gravitates us to where we want to get to in life. And a lot of it in yoga, you know, you start doing certain poses to balance out your chakras, which are your seven main energy points in the body that travel from your forehead down to your feet. And then each energy point represents one specific area in your life. And when it's blocked you you know or you feel it in a physical symptom or you feel it with certain things that are going on in your life that rule that specific energy point so I started understanding spirituality and things from a very young age I've been meditating since I was like 17 when I officially learned how to sit quiet with myself and meditate so I think there are a lot of things 
that helped me heal and accept my disability. And a lot of that was my spirituality. You know, I think we all kind of devote our time and energy to some higher being um, because it makes us feel good because we feel that we are talking to somebody or something that has a higher power than than we think we do. But realistically, you're just kind of talking to yourself. You're just relaying the message to somebody else because you think that they're the ones that can, in essence, fix things for you and kind of get you out of the dull moment. But a lot of it is yourself. So I've always had like a very deep spiritual routine, a very deep yoga routine. I don't do yoga as much now because I started going back to the gym. But every moment that I can, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the mat. I'm, I meditate every night. That is something I haven't been able to let go of. I journal. I'm very into astrology and planets and stuff. So I think a lot of it is just finding your niche of face, whatever it looks like, owning it, and just knowing that that's the space that you get to fall in a safe place. And what are some of your biggest obstacles that you have overcome and some things that you're proud of yourself for? I think a lot of it was just accepting the disability as a whole. I don't think, and it's because a lot of it, I haven't been able to share it. A lot of it, a lot of me not accepting my disability came from my parents because in a sense, I was always taught to defeat it. In a sense, I was taught to overcome it by them and then by the world. So it was like a double traction of like, you need to fix yourself. We're going to fix you. But there was never a point where it was like, but if you stay like this, you need to love yourself. So then, you know, I kind of had to sit with myself in college and deal with classes, deal with a job, deal with two internships that I was doing as well at the time. And then at the same time, love myself. I got to realize, I was like, chances are you've been trying to fix a problem or a so-considered problem by the world and by doctors that it's just not going to happen, right? Your brain cells are dead in that area. <laughs> to, to like connect those wires back in, you're going to need a very risky brain, brain surgery that you're not going to do. So I think, you know, I think it's better off to just sit here by yourself, cry as much as you need to, and just accept the fact that you have a disability and move forward because life is going to get so much more simpler when you just accept who the hell you are and who you're supposed to be. I think we're constantly try from a young age, you know, we're like, no, you can't be like that. You can't be a dropout. You can't be this. You can't be that. And it's like, I'm not saying obviously that I'm putting out some very like obvious examples that you shouldn't follow, but I think we have very little time in life to kind of sit within ourselves and just give ourselves the opportunity to make a decision that, that will make us happy. I think we're constantly doing things to please other people, to please the world. We're buying things that we don't need. We're buying things to look luxurious. We are constantly doing things for the social benefit but very little times do we get to look in and be like I don't care about that I care about this this is what makes me happy this is what makes me feel good so I came to a realization at like 23 I was like I'm done I'm just I was I I was drained emotionally and physically and a lot of that drainage came from me trying to live on other people's expectations of disability we're driven by this process to 
if in order for me to accept myself, then I have to be this, I have to fit this like super narrow mold caught up in this two-dimensional formula for our life when we're multi-dimensional beings, especially in, in the West uh, with how our society is built up. It's like this constant like chase to be somewhere else instead of actually being where we are. So it's either like we're chasing, oh, I need to be like this, or we're going backwards and saying, oh, I missed this time where I looked like this or like, you know, it's always going backwards and forwards, but not actually being here and <laughs> in, in the now, in the yeah. present. Yeah, no, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't agree more. And a lot of that is also by the country that we live in. I feel that America is highly driven by capitalistic value and how much you can do in a day and how much can you make and money doesn't sleep. So neither should I, you know, that kind of mentality. And I think that right now we're definitely seeing the consequences of that mindset. What are some of the, you know, the tools that you use to go into that self-love space and that self-care? How do you nourish yourself? So I think I never really like to give like, this is my routine. I do share it, but I do let people know this is a very personal journey. What's going to work for me might work for you and it might not. The importance of this is that you have the power to build your own. You know, for me, a year ago, I was getting up at 5 a.m. and I was journaling every day and I was doing yoga after that. I think we also evolutionize and work on the base of need. If you need to journal every day, that's what you're going to do. If you need to do yoga every day as an escape, that's what you need to do. But I don't necessarily like to give like a routine. I know for myself, I have to meditate every day, if not every day, at least four times a week, because if not, I'll lose it. (laughs) I will start like walking on walls and stuff. I have to work out every day as well. I've been sick recently, so I haven't been going to the gym. But working out is a huge escape for me. Connecting with nature. This is huge for me. I have a whole bunch of crystals on my nightstand. I go to the beach a lot. Not to get in, I'll usually go to the beach on sunset and just sit there. I'll sit outside with my dad's bonsai garden. You know, I think a lot of it is what rules you as a human and where you find your peace. You have to evaluate yourself. You have to see who makes you feel good. What makes you feel good? What foods don't set in right? Are you drinking too much caffeine? Do you want to switch that over to matcha? You know, simple things like that really drive you to create your perfect routine. I went vegan a year ago because my body just didn't tolerate meat. And I was tired the whole time. I was had been battling digestive issues for about five years now. Went to every doctor. Nobody knew what the hell what was wrong with me. I was put on all, on, on all sorts of meds. I was still struggling. One day I cut meat. I just started eating veggies. Problem solved. And I feel better than ever. I have more energy. So a lot of it is tuning into yourself, tuning into who you are. Watch your energy wavelength when you're hanging out with people. Watch your energy wavelength around the day. What hours are you most productive? I'm very good in the morning to do hard work. Like if, like if I need to write a book or something, my hours would be from like 8 to 11. At 11, I start getting hungry, so I have to go get something to eat. I'll, I'll probably do emails as well in the morning because I have very good memories. So I'll be on track of my stuff. You know, a lot of it is getting to know what areas you work best and what, when do you feel your best? Because this also rules the way you schedule yourself and the way and for me as a business owner, this is how my schedule works. You know, for somebody that's an employee, 
they're like, well, I don't have the time to just choose to do my emails at 10. I have to do my emails at eight. Okay. But then in a way, tune in and see when you're most energized doing what? Okay. With when that changes or if it changes Mm -hmm. to adjust accordingly, because I think we get stuck in, this is how it works for me. But again, like you were saying, that might change and change from day to day, as well as year to year. And we're human, you know, we adapt and we have to give ourselves the opportunity to adapt. You might connect with a friend right now that you might not be connecting with in a couple months because you either outgrew that person, that person outgrew you, or there's no more common interests anymore. That is no reason to tell that person goodbye. I don't want to be friends with you anymore. I think that's more of like a personal conflict you're dealing with to see that person grow or not grow or that you don't want to see them grow so I think a lot of it at the end of the day also comes to letting yourself grow if you don't like something anymore you don't have to like it if you did it all your life great you moved on from it you grew go on to the next thing I think we spend way too much time dwelling over the fact that we grow because we're only we're, we're only supposed to grow in school and get promoted after school But then if you outgrow somebody, if you outgrow a relationship, if you outgrow a diet, if you don't want to be skinny anymore, and if you want to gain a little bit of weight, oh my God, there's there's something wrong with her. It's it's being human. There's nothing wrong. And I guess, again, it goes back to how our society runs and and how it functions because it's not sustainable. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think a lot of it, is you know we're just we're we're just taught to do certain things and that's it you know we're not taught to deal with our emotions we're not taught that's why you know COVID came around half of us were running into psychologists and psychiatrists we were like how the hell do I deal with this we didn't know because we're not taught <laughs> the the life skills are not taught <laughs> right right that's what I'm saying and as far as for any of our listeners today who recently became disabled or someone who has for a long time, who's still struggling, is there anything that you'd like to share with them specifically? I think a lot of it is own, own your process. You know, it's going to get rough and it's going to be rough. Half of the things I was thinking about a couple years ago are not things I think about today. You know, a couple of years ago, I was thinking about accepting who I was. That was like being around 22, 23. Now at 26, turning 27 in June, I'm thinking, do I want to have kids? Will I even be able to carry my own kid? You outgrow things to learn how to live and outgrow other stages in life that might get difficult or that can get a little bit more hands-on. But I think it's important to just know that things will be okay. I think we do live in a world where, once again, we're constantly taught to just not like ourselves. We're constantly taught to change. But if you just kind of sit with yourself for once and ignore that and own who you are and own your process, you mastered life. Like, there's no ands, if, or buts about it. For people who are connected with someone who's disabled, like family members or friends, is there anything you'd like to share with those individuals as they support a loved one? I think a lot of it comes down to not really comparing your situation to theirs, because chances are you're never going to understand no matter how much you can try to compare, right? So chances are that if you have a mental illness and that person has a physical disability, 
your stories are equally valid, but not the same. Um, try to give them as much support. Try to hear them out. Try to come up with adaptive activities to do, you know, take them to accessible places and really just show that you want to be part of their life. And is there anything today that we didn't cover or just something on your heart that you'd really love to, to share with our listeners? I always say in the end, you know, for people that are like trying to, I don't know, who, who, who just popped in to listen to this. I think if you know that you can be extremely good at something and if you know deep down that you deserve to give time to a specific activity, to a specific hobby, to something that you really love, you deserve to give yourself the opportunity to excel and grow in that area. You know, that was me a couple years ago trying to figure things out. I always liked writing. I wanted to do blogging, but I didn't really want to go into the generalized blogging sphere. And within all of that curiosity and being lost, I built my own space. So I think it's important that, you know, it's never too late. I, I know we come in like it's never too late. I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm like 60 already and I'm like, yeah, I get it. But it's really never too late as long as you give yourself the power to craft your own space. When you look at age and time, it's just a human construct. Like it, it really, yeah. you know, placing so much heavy value on that is not going to lead us to that fulfillment. and that true nourishment and that true enrichment that we all crave and need and need in our spirit. I think a lot of us, like our spirits are in, in major need of nourishment. I agree. I agree. And again, you know, to do that, you have to go in and just master the areas of when you feel at most peace and grow that and just take everything out that doesn't make you feel good. I'm like, everything you say, I'm like, yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) because it's so true and for anyone who wants to follow you who wants to connect with you and really keep up with your work where can they follow you how can they connect with you so you guys can find me on instagram under pauzo p-a-u-u-z-z-o or my tiktok same name just with another o that's p-a-u-u-z-z-o-o there i kind of you know tiktok is the more fun side of life um, you know, I've kind of created and built a space of disability education, self-acceptance, adaptive fashion, accessibility, wellness. You know, if you guys have any questions, um, I always do look into my DMs. I try to be as constant as possible, but I also have a life and I have a job and I have so many projects going on. Yeah, I would love to connect with anybody on those two platforms. And I'll be linking all of that information in the podcast description. I love her work. Check her out. Follow Thank her. You. <laughs> um, you know, sharing our stories is so powerful and it's a way to really elevate each other's voices and lead to global yeah. change. And I see this power in your voice, in your work, and everything that you do. I'm so excited to see how this evolves, how you evolve as really, you know, a shining star in this space. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on here today. Super excited to have been here and, you know, so happy that we got the chance to get inclusive. From my heart to yours, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I love creating it. As always, you can connect with me on Instagram at J-U-L-Householder or my website, juliehouseholder.com. I love hearing how you've integrated these episodes into your life. 
And if you feel called, please leave a review on iTunes so we can help others reach new heights.